it's a good day and God is moving and, and the Holy Spirit is powerfully present in us. Even when we joke around, just, you know, did you know that joy is a fruit of the spirit? <laughs> so, and when you're happy, a lot of things are funny. And if you're unhappy, hardly anything's funny, you know, <laughs> you know, so, so just more Holy Spirit, more. So I thought Friday night was amazing, uh, just the experience of the presence of God and the, the hunger and thirst for righteousness, the pursuit of holiness, and, and contending for the harvest. I, I just believe that, you know, we're, it's, it's, it's there, it's happening, and it's not confined to this place, to Harrisburg or the United States, but it includes it. So don't give up. We just cancel all thoughts of hopelessness for our nation, all thoughts of hopelessness for the future of the world. The devil has never been in charge of the future. Did you know that? <laughs> and even when it looked like he was going to finally get rid of God's plan, he unleashed it at the cross. If the princes of this world had only known, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. God faked them out. He, he knew their dirty little hearts and outsmarted them. So God, we just pray that wisdom from heaven would fill us, that we would be full of faith. We would be full of hope and that we would be full of that which is even greater, your love. That your love would constrain us, it would control us, it would motivate us, it would energize us. We thank you in Jesus' name, we thank you. For the Father of kindness, the Son of forgiveness, and the Spirit who helps us. Help us understand your word in Jesus' name. Um, Okay, I hope you brought your Bibles. And I realize a lot of people use phones and uh, other things, which I I'm, think is great. You've always got the Word of God with you. We used to have to carry it around in little packs, or I had this, when I got saved, I had this big Thompson chain Bible, and I would hitchhike with it, you know? So <laughs> uh, that was um, looking for opportunities. But, the, uh, but here's the thing. If you don't have a Bible, you don't know how many pages in you are. You don't know the context of many stories, and you're really just almost, it becomes, it limits your intimate awareness of the riches of God. And so I just recommend, if you, if, if you don't have a Bible, buy a Bible. It's way better than buying a new television, and it's cheaper. <laughs> Amen? And it'll change your life. Okay, so that's it. I'm, okay, that's my little old guy. If you don't like it, just say, well, he's getting old. But um, I am getting old, but I'm telling you what, I'm getting smart. All right, so, okay. Help me not to sound like, anyway. So I, I, so I started a message last week, uh, Holy Spirit, 
and destroying strongholds. And the, because the Holy Spirit sets us free. He's the spirit of truth. Truth sets us free. He's, he's given to us to lead and guide us into all the truth, which means there won't be any part of the truth that is left unexplored. Man, we've only just begun. We can't live long enough to get all that God has planned for us, so don't check out early. Okay, that's <laughs> the, uh, and so it, the Holy Spirit brings, he delivers the kingdom in us and to us and through us. You know, he's, it's like this is how the kingdom of God is an easy way to understand it. It's the righteousness of God. It's the peace, the shalom of God, and it's the overflow joy of the Lord that is our strength. And so this is what the Holy Spirit does in our life. And, uh, and so part of him bringing us into that abundance is one, making us aware of it, and then two, destroying the things or motivating us to destroy the things that stop it. And so I just wanna uh, just talk a little bit about the kingdom and abundance because if we're not living an abundant life, and an abundant life doesn't mean that you have millions of dollars in your um, portfolio or bank account or wherever it might be, but it means that internally you're rich, internally. And so what is there internally, that internal abundance, that internal righteousness, it becomes relational. So first the kingdom is revealed within us and then it's revealed among us. The kingdom of God is within you. Everyone was looking for like, well, you know, how come Rome didn't fall? And Jesus would say, the kingdom of God is within you. And they're all like, huh? You know, because they were looking for something external. So first it's internal, then it's relational. The kingdom of God is among you, like between us. And out of this, it flows and it overflows into the world around us. And we, be, we become the light of the world collectively. So this is our normal. Um, Jesus came, he's the good shepherd. John 10, 10, the second half of the verse, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it abundantly. That's, you know, that is just something that we should, we just say, hey, how are we doing with our abundantly? You know, like, well, I'm okay. You know, I'm not as bad as my brother-in-law and you know, not quite as good as my friend. But, you know, no, we measure ourselves against what God has given us. How's my abundant life doing in all dimensions? And so our new normal is new creation. You know, uh, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And in other words, the regeneration of all things starts with individuals who are redeemed. And then it's between in the relationships and then it overflows, you know. So um, the old has passed away. It's all gone. It's done. It's don't dwell there. And the new has come. Like we already have access to the new. We haven't explored it all, but it's there. So. And God, so what we're looking for in our lives is an overflow of shalom, that everything we needed, a fullness of his fullness we've all received. And so um, with this new creation nature, we're wired for a renewed mind, a unified heart. He unites our heart, 
that, so that we're, we have integrity and that we fear his name. And then um, there's truth, there's freedom, and we, we live by, um, that's 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says we're a new creation. Right before it, Paul writes, for the love of Christ controls us. It, it's kind of like the, you know, if you, if you take your kids bowling, um, they have those bumper things, you know, that stop the ball from going into the gutter. That's what the love of Christ does for us. It, it just makes us better. <laughs> it helps us where we need help, you know, and so instead of just bowling zeros, you know, we, we get some spares, we get some, anyway, the, uh, might even get a strike, you know, might ricochet and hit the right spot, but the, uh, and for he died for us, 15, he died for us, isn't that good, like, whoa, uh, from now on, from now on, just say the word now on. Now on means starting now and it continues <laughs> indefinitely. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Now, this is an, an already not yet statement. Like this is, okay, that's, that's the norm, but it's not the practice of many. You know, we, we are growing into it. It's, it's increasing in our lives. We regard no one according to the flesh. And then Paul goes on and says, yeah, that was his own personal autobiography that he used to regard Christ according to the flesh. Say, okay, he's Galilean, okay, where's this? He can't be the Messiah. And, and so he was an enemy of Christ. And, and then he had a, an adjustment. He had a transformation. And now he sees him differently. Paul also writes, this is from 2 Corinthians, but in 1 Corinthians, he writes about the love that constrains him. First Corinthians 13, he describes the characteristics of it. And at the end, he makes this statement, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully. What does he mean by that? Even as I have been fully known, he means he's talking about in heaven, I will have the kind of knowledge of him that he has of me. And not only that, but when he said we no longer regard people according to the flesh, we're growing into this kind of knowledge. And so, you know, how does God know us? He knows us, he doesn't know us from without by our appearance, but he knows us from within by observing, he observes us by our design, but he also lives inside us. So could it be that as we grow in love, we actually can see inside other people. And so we, we were singing, right? We had categories of people that maybe we would struggle with and go, well, does God love them? Did he love you? <laughs> does he love you now? Does he only love you when you're good? Or does he love you and that's what makes you good? It's just, you know, these are, like he wants to shift our thinking and set us free. And so this is the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. It's all in love. But the beginning of that verse actually gives us the bad news. He said, John 10, 10, part A, you know, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Partly that's because that's all he can do. But the very fact that he wants to steal something from you means you have something of value that he would like to have. And, uh, 
And so how does he have, we talked about this last week, we started this last week, but three common weapons he uses, sin, which is the, his active weapon, he tempts us, Matthew 4, the tempter came to tempt us. First thing he did was, was attack identity, if you are the son of God. And what does that do? If we, if we go for the bait and we enter into sin, the wages of sin is death, and so we lose the vitality of life. Like eventually it's complete death, but even in any area where we enter into to sin. It brings death to that area. It allows it in. And so he sets us free from sin, from the other enemy, you know, so sin is his active weapon, tempting us, trying to get us to actively do the wrong thing. The second common weapon is accusation. This is a passive weapon that, that he tries to paralyze us, the accuser of the brethren. You know, he, he comes and he accuses, he comes and he condemns, he comes and he makes, he puts us into categories and puts us in the category and lies to us that that's who we are. And so what he's doing is he's actually digging up things out of our past to try to stop our future. And what we do is say, hey, the past is gone, my future's bright, your future's terrible. <laughs> so... You know, so we just get free. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, which means all that accusation falls. We, the accuser of the brethren has been cast down who accuses night and day. That's all he can do. Thank you. And, how, and we overcome him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of, his, of our testimony, and because we've not loved the life that we've lived, our own personality, and but we're following him even to the point of death. Why not? <laughs> you, you, why not? It's the best way to go. Following Jesus. I died following Jesus. That's how, how did you die? I was following Jesus. It's better than dying. Uh, it was stupid, but God forgave me and now I'm in heaven. Hey, you know, so, but, so sin, accusations, and then the third one that we were looking at, because this is kind of like his secret, his dormant, his hidden weapon, are strongholds. And strongholds make our lives inconsistent and unstable. And so we could be like, hey, I'm not, I'm not sinning, I'm not, but, but I'm not living consistently all the time in love, in the abundant life, and... Uh, and so these strongholds are, are, he uses lies and builds and experiences and memories and, and pain to build structures that change the way we think so we're not thinking the thoughts of God, but we're thinking defensively, we're thinking, we're, we're, we're like totally downgrading out of abundant life into something that's just more average human and, uh, and the, these are, and strongholds are built with, of, with barriers that block us from getting where we want to go and with booby traps. And I, this word booby trap came to me, so I thought, I wonder if that's in the dictionary, you know, because it seems like a slang word, but this was the definition. Apparently harmless object containing a concealed explosive device designed to kill or injure anyone who touches it. Have you ever run into a stronghold? Like, did you ever go, you just thought you were gonna have a normal conversation with a person and you start talking and suddenly something comes up and it's like, you know, and you're like, oh, what was that all about? You know, and it's even worse when you're the person that has the explosion in you, you know, it's like, and I've had this happen where, you know, I'm just gonna go talk to somebody about something and, and for some reason it's like, whoa, you know, and you kind of walk away, go like, whoa, 
God, what's wrong with me? This is the purpose of the stronghold. Right? But here's the good news. We have the ability and the, we have all the help, all the grace we need. The ability we have to get rid of strongholds is grace. It's God's ability. <laughs> so we can do what we're supposed to do, that we can become who we're meant to become. And, uh, and the weapons of our warfare are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. They, are, they, are, they have divine power to, dis, to destroy and dismantle strongholds. So I think strongholds are far more common. Sin we can see, we get rid of. You know, that, that condemnation, accusation, we start to recognize and just don't fall for it. But sometimes we can have strongholds, they're just hidden. They're like, they're like you know, um, they're like submerged underwater mines, you know, so you're just sailing along and, you know, all right, so help us. Let's all pray. Lord, help me get free from everything stopping me, from your kingdom being fully expressed and radiant in and through my life in every area. In Jesus' name. See, the problem is, you know, if we're just pretty good, we're better than our friends, we get satisfied. But God looks at that, that's like lukewarm. Like zeal is, I want to be like Jesus. Okay, so how do strongholds get built? I'm making sure I don't review too long, and there's some new stuff here just for the benefit of the people that came last week. But (laughs) So how does it get in there, you know? So I, I was thinking about this last week because I thought, well, you know, I don't even know if I have any strongholds anymore, but, you know, like, I got, and it's not something, it's not like my grace and gift that I, I spend a lot of time in this area. So I said, Lord, would you show me how? And I had this vivid dream, and in the vivid dream, I'm in this place, and, and I'm, supposed to go to, uh, I'm supposed to go to a gathering, and my cell phone suddenly has this amazing, beautiful picture that covers half the screen. It's like in the dream, and it's vivid, and I'm not a big dreamer, so, and I remembered it when I woke up, and I still remember it now, so I thought, this must be God's answer. And first, half the screen's covered, and then the whole phone is demon-possessed. I mean, you know, the, the, the image, they were images of lands and places, and, and they were kind of, and it was like graphic art, and, and it's and it takes over the whole phone. Nothing else will work. It won't stop. It won't stop. And I, and I start feeling frantic, thinking like, I would like to turn this off. And I, I try to press the buttons to turn it off. It won't turn off. And I get overcome with this sense of panic because it's getting, it seems like it's getting more and more powerful. And I have this sense of panic like, man, all I can do is wait for the battery to die. And when I woke up, I thought, oh my gosh, that's how addictions, that's how temptation, you know, stuff that grab us and obsess us, and it's idolatry, it's adultery, it's, you know, whatever it is that grabs people and ruins their life. Ah, you know, anger can be that way, obsession with, with money, with, with anything else, the world, the flesh, and the devil, you know, all that stuff. And so, so I thought, wow, okay. And I, I began to understand something that that w- the enemy's lies float around. You know, they're in. The, he's the prince of the power of the air. They're in the culture. They're repeated by people that don't know God. They're taught to children. You know, in, in, in they're indoctrinated into us, and we begin to believe things that aren't true. They're like the vi- they're like a virus. It's corrupted data that goes in, and if, and if they get they can build a big enough stronghold, they completely destroy the intended function in the life that you were created to live. So, 
How many think it's a good idea to get rid of strongholds? So, so then I thought, well, okay, well, how do they enter? You know, this isn't the dream, but it was just a question I thought that could be helpful. And I, I feel like I have a couple answers. One is a single vivid experience, you know, something that produces powerful emotions, strong, clear images. So it could be, it could be traumatic, it could be painful, it could be pleasurable, it could be, you know, fascination, it could be betrayal, it could be, but it's something that like rocks you. That's a place where a stronghold can get in and, and it, you know, because you don't forget it and it starts building. It becomes like a foundation, a cornerstone of, of that stronghold. And then, but I think this one's even more common, repeated, less vivid experiences can lead us to the wrong conclusions. You know, like disappointment, people let us down, we were expecting something, we thought we had these plans, they get broken, you know. So disappointment makes the heart sick. Huh. You know, and so once the lie enters and is established, it can distort and color everything else. It erects a barrier that keeps us from freedom. And so I was thinking about that. You know, when I moved here to Pennsylvania, I heard, I mean, in California, we had our own cultural strongholds. But one of the things that, you know, I remember, I heard this phrase here that I hadn't heard before. Maybe it was around, I just didn't hear it. But I noticed people, we'd be talking about a situation and people go, yeah, you have that. You'll have that around here. You'll have that around here. In other words, they're normalizing something that's less than good, less than tov, you know. And I, and I know hardly anything's ever perfect and amazing except what's inside you. And then the other one that I heard that I didn't hear much there was, oh, he's a piece of work. Or, she's, you know, and I mean, you know, it's just like, well, like, what do you do with that? <laughs> okay, it's a piece of work. I don't know what it means. But... Oh, you can't get there from here. That was another thing that we heard. We heard that one in Baltimore. We were down in Baltimore trying to figure out how to get back to Harrisburg. We were in the Inner Harbor area with this Italian uh, bakery and, and these guys that were these Italian brothers. We said, hey, um, we want to get on the freeway and go to Harrisburg. And they go, oh, you can't get there from here. I'm like, well, we got here from there. <laughs> like, like, but... <laughs> So finally, I said, I picked a closer point. I said, well, how would I get to Towson? And they go, oh, well, then you just go over here and blah, 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 blah. And I go, okay, and we made it back. Okay, but anyway, but sometimes, you know, we just accept things that aren't true because everybody else is saying them. And, and, uh, and, it, and every, just like truth sets us free, every lie that gets established creates an area of bondage or slavery. And so... I want to, you know, get fully free. Uh, and so, and, you know, and sometimes how we recognize strongholds, sometimes we make statements like, well, I will never, or, you know, I'm no good, I'm not qualified, I'm too old, I, I'm just a mess up or stuff. You know, and basically, if you grew up in a family, you probably had some of these indoctrinated you into you by your brothers, by your parents, by the people around you. Now, you know, it's really dangerous. You send kids to school and teachers that I'm sure out of good intentions, but it's like they feel like it's their mission to, to um, question children about, you know, how they feel and, and they're what they're doing is they're introducing strongholds at a very young age. And God's going to do something about this, believe me. Because when you stumble the little children, you're in trouble. 
which means the army of heaven is going to come into play here, right? And set these children free for being, having their lives cut off before they even get started. Oh, that, uh, no pun intended, but the, uh, okay. Um, oh, Jesus. There might, so how would you know, do I have a stronghold in your life? Okay, you might have a stronghold if, okay, you experience that you are powerless to change a situation you know is not the will of God. And so I, I, there's a slide up there. Sometime it'll show up. But it, sa so it says, a spiritual stronghold is a mindset impregnated with hopelessness from which we accept as unchangeable situations which we know are contrary to the will of God. And it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It has absolutely nothing to do with the hue of your skin. It is all about what God has said, what he's offered, what he's wanting to pour out through us that will overcome every situation. Come on. <laughs> the, uh, and so it robs us from the capacity, strongholds rob us from the capacity to believe and receive the word of God. And the big, I think the biggest issue is we settle for less than the fullness you know, so, okay, basically, we, we know we're supposed to forgive. So we forgive everybody, but, you know, there's just some people that we, I don't know, every time I see them, I just, you know, that's a stronghold. You know, we, family is good. It wasn't good for Adam to be alone. It wasn't tov. The Hebrew word tov has this connotation of it can't get any better than that. You know, it's God's best. And so, you know, we're told, Proverbs, it, you know, it's good. <laughs> he who finds a wife finds what's good. What he's saying is, I mean, that's a very good motivating uh, truth for young men to be enculturated, indoctrinated with, and, uh, and then they obtain a favor from the Lord. But God is after the good of family. He's after the good of children. He's after the good of a future full of strong, amazing, healthy families. So that's, that's the truth, but the experience is, you know, you grow up in a troubled family, and probably, I would imagine, close to 90% of the people here grew up in troubled families of some kind. Maybe it's 80, I don't know, but you know, like where I came from, <laughs> it was 100%. Okay, so <laughs> the troubled families, and then adults, you know, then we have the issue of adults with repeated failures, like, well, you know, I've been married three times. I don't think I'm good at it. And, uh, and God hates divorce and all that. But listen, God comes to give you a future and a hope. You know, and so the children, I, you know, I can say I grew up not, my home was troubled in a certain way. You know, my parents didn't get divorced, but but, you know, I, it was, there wasn't a lot of love in my family. There, was, <laughs> there were a lot of, intro, you know, negative experiences, put it that way. And, but, you know, when I got born again, all that got washed away. I was a pastor for 10 years as a young, naive, idealistic, on fire uh, believer who didn't want to be a pastor, but that's what God put me in. We were just having fun with Jesus. And then... We, we experienced, we got beat up and mal, manhandled by our friends, the elders and stuff, for over a year, intense crisis. 
And so I could have been bitter. I could have, you know, I, I really actually wanted to build houses and just like, hey, I'll be a good Christian, give lots of money to the poor ministers and missionaries, and I'm just going to have a normal life. And But God brought us here. Did I get bitter? No. You know what? I actually made, I made sure that I reestablished the friendship with all the people who had you know, been part of the pain. I didn't become bitter. I didn't say, well, that's just what churches do to you. That's why I don't go to church. You know any people like that? There's a stronghold that's telling them, well, you know, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Well, you know, that's just for most people, but I'm good. The problem is, see, we're not supposed to be just good. We're supposed to be like him. (laughs) <laughs> so, so, but what strongholds will produce a fragmented heart and mind. And so when we read the word of God and we hear a preacher going, amen, that's true. And we think like, okay, I got it. And then we, you know, somehow between hearing it or being, or we have a time of prayer, we reading in the Bible, my heart burns, you know, every time I read the Bible, my, my heart burns. Well, not every single time, but many times I've been reading Isaiah and Hosea, and my heart burns with the promises of God. My heart burns with the the agony of God, you know, with that His people fall short. And I think I wish that I would completely incarnated every single promise and intention of God in my life, and then I go through life, you know, and you know. I'm grouchy, I get tired, all this stuff. I go, okay, there's some little strongholds there that I'm not gonna rob me because I'm not gonna accept that as normal. I say, what's normal is righteousness, peace, and joy overflowing. And not my righteousness, the righteousness of God. Not my version of peace, God's peace. But So I've got a long way to go. See, I think I may have a long life because God says, it's just taking him so long. We'll do, let him, but he's still growing. But see, we can't settle for less than full incarnation of the word of God. You know, that we would imitate God, that we would, we would live in love, that love would live in us. But if you're living in love, you can't live in love unless the love surrounds you. It's so, so big inside you that it comes out and you're carrying it wherever you go. Come on. And so people will always disappoint us. Um, you know, and situations may seem overwhelming and all these things. You know, if we think they're hopeless or permanent, then we're trapped. Here's an interesting thing. You know, trauma is real. Like, like bad stuff happens. The, uh, if you're in an AA meeting, you would hear some salty language, but the... Uh, but bad stuff happens to everybody. Trauma is a wound. But do you know wounds are not meant to be permanent, they're meant to heal. See, and when you're healed, you might have a scar. And that scar is a trophy of God's grace. Yeah, the enemy thought he could take me out with this. But I'm still here. <laughs> you know how much that scares the devil? <laughs> it's like, come on, post-traumatic stress syndrome. PTSD, or disorder, PTSD, post-trauma stress, is a disorder, but it's meant to be healed, and it's not permanent. So it's not our identity, it's something we're, in, we're, we're being healed from the disorder that, was, inter- that was, was injected through the trauma. 
So God, we just break it off. We break off every lie that, and every excuse <laughs> that, that would stop us from partaking of the fullness of your salvation, that we will be set free of everything. It doesn't matter who did it or when it happened, that you bore our griefs, our pains, and our sorrows. You nailed them to the cross, not just our sins, but the sins against us were nailed to the cross. Thank you. So anyway, what happens is, you know, if, if this grows, it, it fragments our soul. It, and God is after integrity in our soul. So fragmentation, um, I think there's a picture up there. Yeah, if, we let, if we let that get built into a stronghold, it isolates our minds. We hear God's truth and we receive it and we say amen and we love it and then we go out and, and all this stuff is in us and we don't know why because our, there's a barrier in our mind and so trauma, offense, and cultural pollution becomes our norm. This is why I recommend you don't spend all your time reading the news, you know, because it's mostly bad news. But fill yourself with God's promises. Fill yourself with Philippians 4. Fill yourself and participate. His great and precious promises are how we partake of the divine nature so that we're, we're delivered from the corruption that's in the world. I'm just saying, 2 Peter chapter 1. Okay. Uh, the, so, so James, anyway, James does a really great job of describing this. He said, look, with the tongue, we bless God and we curse man who was created in his image. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And then he says, this ought not be. So if you have an issue with that, that means there's something going on in there that God intends to free you from. This, he's not writing this to condemn you. You can read James and go like, whoa, he was in a bad mood. No, he's not. He just knows the seriousness of sin because it's robbing you from all that you could have. And so and then, he's, and then in, he, he describes it as being double-souled, double-minded. James 1.8, he's saying, look, if you, if you don't really believe the promises of God, which means you've accepted something less than, he said, you're, you're double-minded. You have two souls. Part of you is rejoicing in the promise. Part of you is going, well, that won't happen. And it's like, this is, and he says, when this happens, it, you are a double-minded man, or you could be a double-minded woman, and you're unstable in all your ways. Now, unstable, just you think like, oh, poor guy, he can't keep his balance. Kind of like me after I had my concussions. A lot of my stability's gone. Maybe some of it's aging. But, but it's worse than unstable. It means uncontrolled. It means uncontrollable. And it's not just in one area. It's in all his ways. Oh, Jesus we need self-control, you know, we need, and so the, we need the love of God to constrain us. Come on. So I, I know I have to make you sad before I can make you glad, but I don't want to make you too sad. But the, because what it's doing is it's robbing our shalom. See, it's robbing the peace of God that's beyond comprehension. It's robbing what even Isaiah saw as a norm, you know, that if our mind is fixed on God, we experience shalom, shalom. Translated perfect peace. I like to think of it as exponential peace. You know, like, <laughs> like a million times a million, you know. Anyway, the, uh, 
So strongholds tend to exalt subjective feelings, which is certainly the norm in our culture, you know, that how do you feel? Do you feel like a boy? Do you feel like a girl? I said, I feel like I'm who God made me to be. You know, that's what I'm saying. And it doesn't matter what I feel because these are not cultural, these are not decisions I have to make. I need, we need to know the truth. And I'm sorry to, if some people say, well, it's just, you know, it's, that's not the only topic, but I just, it's so wild in our culture right now that, that what you feel becomes your truth, which is an absolute lie. <laughs> and God intends for the truth and the feelings to be together, to be integrated, and that truth rules over feelings. You know, it's like paper, rock, scissors, you know? It's like we, we've got the formula mixed up. So strongholds just tend to do that. Um, they, they're often made of good intentions. These are not like bad people. They just, but sometimes our good intentions are, are not God's intentions. Uh, sometimes they're in the shadow of our strength, you know? Sometimes the strongholds are strategic. You may have a gift of mercy, and then, then some stuff happens to you. The stronghold gets built so that you just feel like you can never trust people again. And you can't forgive that one thing that your brother, that your father, that your mother, that your boss, that your ex-husband, that your present husband, that your, whoever did it, your kid did it to you. I had a wound from my child. <laughs> Not too many parents have to go to psychologists for their, for their children, although it might be more common now, but usually it's the other way around. And, and, uh, and I got over it, you know. I'm just saying, traumas happen, they can get in you. And so we will forgive, and we will be generous, and we will be overcomers and more than conquerors. That's the truth. And so in this world, we have pain. In this world, you'll have tribulation. Be of good cheer. How can you be of good cheer? You have to believe that he overcame the world, and in his victory, we're more than conquerors. That's the truth. So strongholds result, okay, so how are we gonna destroy strongholds? How are we doing here? I'm, okay, I have some steps. I asked Sherry Anthony because Sherry Anthony, before her Linda Forrester and many other people work in this area that they, they really help people get free of strongholds. And so some of you, there might probably be a long list of people that want appointments, but some of it and most of it we get by ourselves. You know, most of it, but sometimes we need help understanding how to do it. So. We need divine help to break strongholds. Would you agree? That's why we have weapons that are mighty in God. And the great thing is we have two helpers. Jesus said, this is Hebrews 13, the Lord is my helper. Come on. And he has said, I'll never leave you or never forsake you. So sometimes you feel like, oh God, you have forsaken me. He can't forsake you. He has sworn that he will never leave you nor forsake you. What? So you might have a stronghold that you don't know he's there. Because maybe you've said he's not there. He left me, he left me, he left me. He's there, he left me. He said, well, you have what you say. He left me. You know, I'm just saying, so tell the truth. God, I sinned, forgive me, come. You know, I'm so disappointed, I'm so mad at you. God, please come back. He's already there. Okay, so Jesus is our helper, and he said, I'm going away so that I can send you another helper the Holy Spirit. Okay, so here's, how do we break down strongholds? Are you ready? Okay, and these are on a, a paper, and I, I had to write something on the first service that gave my paper away. They're little half sheets, paper. They're in the information table, booth. It's where the bookstore used to be. They're out there. 
you can get them in case you can't take notes. Step one, ask the Holy Spirit. By the way, we're gonna, we pray for the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth because that's who he is and that's what he does. He's the spirit of truth. And he will come and he will guide us into all the truth. That's wild, huh? Not into all truths, into all the truth. Everything that's in God. Okay, so step one. We ask the Holy Spirit to show you, ask the Holy Spirit to show you your ungodly strongholds, lies, and beliefs. So, you know, it's so interesting. Early this morning, I just, I was just seeking, I just do this. You know, I, I have this prayer. It's, it's, it's like a little devotional structure. And I, most days I start my day with this. And the first line is, Holy Spirit, sanctify me. Spirit of Christ, sanctify me. Anima Christi sanctifica me, for if you know Latin. But, and then I, and I believe this and I think he does. And he will make all life holy. You know, if if you don't just rattle this stuff off, but you go, God, this is my sincere prayer. And so in that, I'm seeking if, if there's any lies, if there's any strongholds. And I had a shock. I had a, a pretty intense encounter this morning at four o'clock in a good way. Early this morning, I recognized an area of internal and relational lack because there's no lack in God. He's my shepherd. There's no lack. And and. I wasn't satisfied with living as a mere man. 1 Corinthians 3.3. 3. You know, you're, where there's strife, there's conflict, there's envy, there's, there, you're, you're in the flesh and you're living as mere humans. Why would Paul write that? Because we're children of God. We're not mere humans. We are humble, but we're not mere humans. We're the children of God. You are the sons and daughters of the Most High. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You are new creation. You, 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 are, the, you are the jewels who will make up his crown. Come on. Don't let, God, don't let strongholds and lies downgrade your experience. You know, so, so, so anyway, I, I just, I said, God, how did... Where did this get started? And bam, I went back to something I had completely forgotten because I, you know, I, it was intense. I repented of it at the time. 1987, we had just moved here from California. It was just a moment of total overload, pain, frustration. And, and I just, and I was, I was sitting in a car and in front of me was a brick wall. And just in a moment, that the temptation is to act on the lie. I don't know what would have happened, but probably something, and God saved me. And behind the brick wall was a store, you know, so it wouldn't have been, it would have been messy. And, and, uh, and I, I, I didn't hold that, but I asked him, show me, and I said, God, thank you. I started crying and weeping, and I got that, well, at least the preacher got saved today. I got set free. I had a sozo encounter, you know, and I said, God, I just believe you're going to do that to everyone who hears this message because it's powerful. It's, it'll set you free. He comes, and so, um, so step, two, step one, ask the Holy Spirit to show you. Step two, 
ask Jesus to come into the places of trauma, offense, and cultural beliefs. You know why? Because he bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows to the cross. He took them all on him. Why would we want to hang on to them? Are they your favorite? You know, it's like we don't even know. We, then, but we just say, and so I have experienced this in other encounters with God where Jesus comes right into that moment and reframes it. Right into that moment and he's there. He, he could either reframe how it feels. He could reframe the, your own perspective of, of the purpose behind the battle. Because... What seem to you to be senseless sorrows may be full of meaning. And what seems to you to just be needless pain might be pregnant with purpose. Can you understand that? It's like, like but we need to refrain because the devil just wants you to feel sorry for yourself. Be defeated, quit, be offended, resent. And so Jesus is the good shepherd. Ask Jesus to show you the key traumas and to go through them with you. He walks through the valley of the shadow of death. The Lord is with me. He gives us the rod and the staff and he brings us to the prepared table, the fresh anointing, the overflowing cup right in front of the enemies. And then he, del- he gives you the delight that for the rest of your days, goodness and mercy are going to chase after you. Come on. <laughs> All right. Step three. And so the goal is that we would fit every loose thought, emotion, and impulse into the structure of the life Christ has given us. This is what it means in 2 Corinthians where it says taking every thought captive. Fit it into Christ. Like what's this mean in Christ? Uh, So step three, repent for believing lies. Are you with me? Okay. Repent. For believing lies. Repent means change the way you see them. Change the way, don't no longer accept, repent for believing the lies and resulting offenses. Receive forgiveness and truth. And this could have to do with idolatry, with things that are drawing you that you know are going to kill you eventually, but they're so pleasurable. You just, you know, the old Elvis Presley song, if it feels so good, it can't be wrong. That is not true, <laughs> you know, because it can feel good at the beginning, but if it's not God, it's not going to feel good in the long run. It'll kill you, you know. So this is, so we just go, God, do it, do it, set me free. And repent for building the stronghold. Lord, I, I wonder if I skipped something here. Yes, I did. Okay, repent for believing lies and the offenses. Receive his forgiveness and truth. He's so, he's so kind. Forgive and release ourselves, others, and the offense. And, you know, you could, this takes time and you be specific. Okay, now, we need, we need, to do this all, we need to access grace. Give me 10 minutes and, I'll, and you'll be done here. And, uh, but you'll just be beginning, <laughs> okay. So we have to access grace. And a passage opened up to me that, actually, this has never been my favorite passage at all in Scripture. Um, but w- we have to recognize that a stronghold means you've settled for less and, and know that grace is available to help you. So James 4. This is a real Debbie Downer passage, you know. You adulterers, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? 
Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is with no purpose that he, Scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? And I'm like, okay, James, okay. But see what he's doing. He is, he sees what we could have. And he's, it's, have you ever yelled at your kids? <laughs> Never. No, okay. Because you see, what they're doing is so beneath who they are. And so he's saying, he's given you everything. He's given you his kingdom. He's given you his righteousness, peace, and joy. What's wrong with you? Why have you settled? Why are you just, you're not hot and you're not cold, but you're lukewarm. And he's saying, repent and be zealous. You know, go after it. Get that gold refined with fire. Get that white garment. Get it on you because it's all there, but you haven't been living there. That's what he's doing. He says, it's a wake-up call. Do you not know friendship with the world means we, we just measure ourselves by the world's values. Oh, I'm doing good. You know, everything's great. Yeah, you know, well, you know, it could be better, but how about it could be better, and I'm getting better, you <laughs> know? God's grace is, I, you know, just this is internal dialogue, not stuff we have to spout off to everybody. But, and, and then do we understand, do you suppose that it is to no purpose? Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit who's made to dwell in us. Do you understand? You're the temple, your body, my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. What? Like you have an honor greater than the holy of holies in the temple of Solomon on Mount Zion that was covered with gold and incense and filled with the presence of God between the angels. This is what we, we have something better than that, but we don't know it. Ah, you know, just getting kind of old and who cares? And you know, it's like, don't put things in your body that you wouldn't bring into the holy of holies. Don't, I'm just saying, this is, this is like, don't treat yourself like you're just nothing, because he bought us with a price. Anybody, we should have a, a repentance time here. And uh, the good news, so it sounds pretty tough, but here's the good news, verse six. He gives more grace. It's an old song, when the burdens grow greater. He gives more strength when the labors increase to multiplied sorrows. Oh, to added affliction, he gives added endurance to multiplied sorrows, his multiplied peace. It's, it's an old hymn, it's really true. So, so first step, recognize that a stronghold means you've settled for less. Second step, place yourself fully within the kingdom of the king of all kings. He's Lord of lords. He, make him Lord over every thought, every feeling, every impulse. And so this is the step. Verse 7a, submit yourself to God. And so how do we do that? This is step four in, in the little sheet that Sherry made. Lord, I repent for building the stronghold causing double-mindedness, and I choose to replace it with your truth. It's that simple. Now, replacing it with the truth is a process. We're making a commitment. But when you repent, 
He's all there. You know, it's a gift from God. And so, so now we're ready to resist the devil. And uh, 7b says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Like, isn't that simple? Like, so what do I do? I humble myself. I submit myself to God. And then I have all authority to resist the devil. Even though a few minutes earlier, I was just all confused. It, I mean, it's like, bam, how do we resist the devil? We refuse his offers. We push back with truth, love, joy, peace. We command him to take his lies elsewhere. We prophesy our own sanctification, our own freedom, our own transformation. And you could say, I am. And you're thinking like, he's saying, no, you're not. And you say, I am. And he's going to flee from you. King Jesus has given you authority over every devil and demon, and he will flee. Behold, I give you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions, and nothing shall by any means harm you. I think Luke 10, 19, but I forgot to look it up. It just came to me. Third step, continually pursue the one who's pursuing you. This is verse 8a. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So you just... Make it a practice sometime in your day. Do it daily. He's, he's after you 24-7. But it's like sometime during the day that you're pursuing God until it becomes something that's on your mind all through the day in every interaction, in every conversation, in every relationship that you're going, God, I'm pursuing you. God, I'm pursuing you. You don't have to say it out loud. You can if you want, but I mean, you know, people might think you're weird. And, uh, but, it, but he's pursuing you. And you'll find out that we think he, we're pursuing him and we discover that he's the one who pursues us. And he, the guarantee, this is a promise. You draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Come on. And then, I mean, the, the next parts just make sense. We clean up our actions and we purify our desires and motivations and we expect the outcome of a united heart. Verse, chapter, uh, verse eight, part B. Cleanse your hand, you sinners. That sounds tough, like, oh man. Cleanse your, but he's just saying, stop doing the things that are wrong. Purify your hearts. You know, come after me. Pursue me. Love me. You know, get, get Philippians chapter 4, whatever's true and just and beautiful, whatever's praiseworthy, whatever has good report. Think on these things. And then, uh, and then there's the issue of godly sorrow. Verse 9, be wretched and mourn and weep. That sounds tough. But, you know, all wretched means is, God, I'm living below. I'm much poorer than I need to be spiritually. I'm, I've accepted something that is not what you want me to have. You came to give me an abundant life. An abundant life could include, you know, lots of, of, of financial blessing, and I, we just pray that over everybody. But it doesn't, it's not measured by our finances. It's measured by the shalom within it's measured by the abundance inside us that's ever new, that's the fountain of life. And you could give everything away and, and then you'll have more to give away. And you could give everything away and have more. You could choose to live outwardly poor but inwardly rich. And that's not, and that's not everybody's calling, but it is like that's the essence of this 
abundant life. Come on. So we cleanse our hands. We, do, you know, we don't do the things that, that he wouldn't do. We purify our hearts. We, we stop entertaining thoughts that he, and then we just go, God, I'm, I need you. I'm wretched. You know, I, I can't do it myself. And he makes us rich. I mourn and those who mourn will be comforted. And I weep. And I mean, we have encounters with God. We weep and we laugh and he works us over. And it's great. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. He's not saying all your laughter. He's not saying all the time. But he said, in these issues, as I show you what you've been missing, you may weep. Ever done something wrong? It's just normal. If you're truly sorry, you just weep over it. And so we weep. But then later, he turns our mourning into joy. And he clothes us with gladness. Come on. This is... I love this. This is getting free. And then he says, let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. He doesn't mean forever. He just means in this time of resetting what's normal. And the last thing, and you can stand up, do all of this in hope. And so this, it, it says, verse 10, humble yourself before the Lord, which is what all those previous verses are about, and he will exalt you. He will lift your life up out of failure, out of double-mindedness, out of depression, out of offense, out of PTSD. He will lift it up and exalt you, set you free. Come on. Step five. Lord, I choose to renew my mind with your word, with godly confessions with, and truths, and I invite you, I invite encounters. I'm really telling you this. An encounter with God can do in a minute or an hour or a nighttime something that, that years and years of psychotherapy, years and years of personal discipline could not accomplish. Now, the thing is, if you've been going after and you've been disciplined and you've been pursuing it and pursuing it and pursuing it, you still need those encounters because they just take it into the heavenly realm so that it's not just in our mind, but it's glowing from within. So uh, would you lift your hands? I want to pray for you. And I, and I also, I really, I know some of you, you've been touched through this. Some of you, if you don't know Jesus, he wants to set you free. He wants to break down every chain, every shackle. He wants to set you free because that, the slavery that we get in from sin will kill us. It will kill us faster than fentanyl, which is way too fast. And he wants to set you free from addictions, from idolatries. He wants to set you free. Maybe, I mean, some people might struggle with pornography. It's just like, are you serious? You know, and I'm not saying that to mock you, but it's just like, this is the mind that God would give you that you would see the total emptiness and vanity of it and be set free in an encounter with God with every kind of drug addiction, abuse problems, or medications, alcohol, anything legal or illegal. If, if your heart's drawn, like you're, you're married, but you're thinking about other things, that that's idolatry would be broken. There's grace here to take you out of the slums and out of the gutter and into the throne room and fill you with glory and put you at his right hand on his throne. This is what he said to the guy, the people in Laodicea. If you'll repent and be zealous and you'll invite me to come into your heart, you will overcome and you will sit on my throne. Wow. So 
The Holy Spirit, we ask that there would be encounters with truth over today and over the next weeks and months, God, that you would begin a truth download, a truth that you would reign from heaven, that your voice would be like the sound of many waters, that they would that it would be giving us life, that it would be restoring, that it would be changing everything, that you would recreate and reframe where there's conflicts in our life and we don't know what's this is priority or this is priority, that over the next few months, this, this continual outpouring of truth is going to set things in priority and set you free and God, you're going to shine in and through your people and you're going to turn this nation around through a download and an outpouring of truth because the lies have been being promoted, Goliath is out there with his megaphone spouting off the same old lies and defiance and God, you're gonna send and raise up David's with a little pouch with some smooth stones and you're gonna kill that giant and cut off his head, God. You're going to give your people victory and save a generation or two or three of children in this nation. Thank you, you're going to integrate our lives. And I just speak over every one of you the grace to live with Isaiah 26, verse three, in your memory banks, that you will keep us, you will guard us, you will protect us, you will maintain us in a place of shalom, shalom, of perfect peace. As our minds and our hearts are fixed on you, there'll be no double-mindedness, no, no inconsistency, no like, oh, I hate myself, oh, I did it again. God, you're gonna set us free from that and we're gonna walk in joy and walk in victory and walk in overflow. Righteousness, peace, and joy overflow the inside of his fullness we've all received. Holy Spirit, pour your fullness out right now. Pour your fullness out until we overflow, till we feel like we're going to explode with goodness. Displace every lie, displace every darkness, every discouragement, every disappointment with hope. God, we pray especially right now a grace to break off PTSD, bring it to full healing, bring it so it's no longer a trigger, it's no longer a memory that, that hurts us again and again and again. And we believe you in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. <laughs> okay. I had a little preach and uh, <laughs> hey, welcome back. Edgar and Yudir were in California. They made it back for the second service. Hey, okay. I just, it's awesome. All right, so the rest of you go out with joy. Be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will break forth in singing. <laughs> and the trees are going to clap their hands. <laughs>